You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Genesis chapter 17, uh, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reading of your holy and sacred word. And Father, we ask that you'd be pleased, O Lord, to teach us this morning uh, from your word, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and Amen. Now, for the last few weeks, we've been moving through Genesis rather quickly. We've been taking uh, whole chapters at one time, and you'll notice we slowed down a little bit this week, uh, only taking one verse. And if you look at the verse uh, carefully, you'll probably notice, at least in most of our translations, that really um, the verse kind of stops mid-sentence. Really, verse 2 is, you know, uh, completing that, um, that sentence, if you will. Translations will differ on that a little bit. So uh, I guess we could say we've slowed way, way down uh, because we're not even taking the complete sentence. But I, I think you'll find this to be very profitable this morning. Uh, and I think you'll soon um, discover why I've chosen to do this. Um, Really, for starters, I think that because we've been moving through at such a rapid pace, it is prudent for us at some point to stop and take a a little bit of time for review. But uh, secondly, I think that verse 1 really is crying out for a review like that. So this morning is really going to serve kind of as a primer or an introduction to Genesis 17. We're going to move through Genesis 17 much slower than we have through the other chapters, but it's going to serve as a review looking backwards. It'll serve as an introduction uh, looking forward. Now, um, we do well to pay attention to the first part of our text. Uh, Don't be... um, um, Be aware of the simplicity of it is what I'm trying to say. It offers us a time frame. Notice that it says when Abram was what? 99 years old. There's a lot being said right here. I mean, Abram is actually on the eve of a century of living. You know, and... 25 years have passed since Abram was called out of Haran. 25 years. And you'll recall in Genesis 12, verse 4, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And in fact, if you turn back to Genesis 12 with me, it's back in Genesis 12 where Abram receives a remarkable visitation from the Lord. You know, it's, it's there where he's called to leave his homeland. 
You know, he's called to leave what is familiar. Uh, he's called to leave the place where, um, you know, he made a really good living. We've learned that, that Abram's household is a very large household. And of course, he grows along the way, but even when he leaves Haran, uh, it's a very large household. So Abram has, Abram's been involved in, in, in a business that's been quite lucrative, if you will, in Haran. He leaves it. He leaves his family. He leaves his country. He leaves his father's house. And he's given these amazing promises. In verse 2, God says to him, I will make of you a great nation. That's one of the greatest things that one of the ancients could have heard because um, a large families were prized by the ancients, much different than today, where we typically maybe have one or two or three children. Uh, the ancients, really a large family of, of children was, was prized. To hear that you're going to be made into a great nation was a tremendous blessing. God also says, I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. In verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And then uh, continuing in verse 3, in you all of the families of the earth will be blessed. What a tremendous statement that is. And of course, we know how that's fulfilled, don't we? You know, That's fulfilled in Christ Jesus, isn't it? He was the son of Abraham. And you know, can you see yourself in that blessing? Did everybody get that? Read it again. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. In Abram, all the families of the earth will be blessed because Abram's going to have a son who will 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 have Jesus. And if you're in Christ Jesus, you, you're in that verse, aren't you? If you skip down to verse 7, to your offspring I'll give this land. So there's the promise of land. And you may recall, it's been a few weeks ago, but you may recall that I pointed out that this chapter is really a pivot. It's very pivotal. You know, you have, you have Genesis 1 and 2, which are glorious bursts of light, you know, um, you know, it's a real firework display, a marvelous firework display of God's creative activity. Genesis 1, Genesis 2. Genesis 3, not so much, is it? Genesis 3 is dark. It's, it's not without grace. It's, it's tremendous grace. We get the gospel in Genesis 3. But it's dark, isn't it? The fact that we need a gospel, the fact that we need good news, is really um, predicated on the fact that we've had really bad news, isn't it? And we get the gospel uh, in Genesis 3. So I wouldn't want to just say, well, Genesis 3, 4, 5, all the way through 11 is all dark. It's not true. There's lots of grace. There's a tremendous amounts of grace. But the overall water stain here, the overall... Um, uh, backdrop of it is dark, isn't it? And then you get to Genesis 12 and what happens? We get these promises. And where this pivots is, is that from Genesis 12 onward, 
What is everything about? It's about the fulfillment of these promises. You know, this kind of helps us put an outline together in terms of the entire Bible. You know, preaching uh, through these verses involves not only looking at the verses themselves and studying through these verses, not only involves looking at the verses themselves, but looking at the verses that become before them, looking at the verses that, that come after them, and then standing back and looking at how these pieces fit in the overall um, uh, scope of the whole. How does, uh, how does Genesis 12 fit in the overall scope of God's revelation? It's a pivot. It's pivotal. Promises are made. You got Genesis 3.15, then you got Genesis 12, and, and it, it just... Genesis 3.15 fans out into Genesis 12. Genesis 12 fans out uh, quite wide. But there's always a central thread and we could say that the central thread is the gospel, but we could even be more specific, and we could say the central thread is the Son who is promised in Genesis 3.15. And who is that Son? It's Christ Jesus. And this is how Christ Jesus can tell after His resurrection, can tell the disciples on the way to Emmaus that all of the Scripture speaks about me. See, So we always have to keep all of this dancing in our heads as we're studying Scripture. And that sounds like a lot when you're first getting started at it. But the more you do this, the more it will become, you know, it's like driving a car when you first get started, you know. You, you, you get a hold of the steering wheel. I remember the first time I drove a garden, a tractor. <laughs> My grandfather had me on his tractor. And, you know, you had to, you could steer with the brakes and you know, you had to shift it and you had to, you had a clutch and everything. And I didn't, you know, you don't know that you can like let one hand off the steering wheel to do other things with, you know, you've got both hands on the steering wheel. Um, the more you hear this, the more it becomes second nature to look for these things uh, in Scripture as you're studying them. So uh, here's what we have. We have a pivotal chapter and Abram is called out of Haran. He's called to leave. He's given these promises. And Abram demonstrates a remarkable faith if you look at verse 4. There we read the words, So Abram went out as the Lord told him. Hold on to that. Abram is on a really, I don't want to call it a spiritual high, but I want to, let, let me say that Abram, Abram is walking in remarkable faith. Let's put it that way. In verse 4, chapter 12, Abram is walking in remarkable faith. But does it stay that way? We've been studying this. We find out, no, what happens? Along the way, a severe famine darkens the land, and Abram moves down to Egypt, doesn't he? And we have no record of Abram seeking the Lord or relying on his protection and provision he just seems to be walking in his own wisdom, doesn't he? And Abram's a wise, he's a wise owl, you know? He knows as he gets close to Egypt that he just knows how things work. There's going to be rascals down there, scoundrels down there, always looking to get in with Pharaoh. And Abram's wife, Sarah, is very beautiful. And he realizes the potential the potential that if they set their eyes on his wife, they may kill him, take her uh, to Pharaoh, so Pharaoh could have 
yet another beautiful woman for his harem of beautiful women. So what does Abram do? He convinces his wife to say that she is his sister, and she maintains that she is single. And just as Abram feared, they come, they take her, and Sarai is married off to Pharaoh. Remember that? Horrifying, a horrifying mess. Uh, but the Lord delivers on His promises. And it's important to see that that mess there actually compromises the gospel, doesn't it? Because there's a promise of a son. And who is going to give birth to the promised son? Um, you know, in type and shadow, it's going, to be, it's going to be Sarai. She's not going to be able to do this while married to Pharaoh. So the Lord intervenes. The Lord plagues Pharaoh. We're not told how. But we are told that God does it in such a way that Pharaoh realizes that the cause of all of this is Sarai, and namely that Sarai is Abram's wife. Now, all of this to say is here is a great valley. We see Abram walking in remarkable faith in verse 4 of chapter 12. But by the time the chapter's over, Abram's in a valley, isn't he? A terrible mess. They get kicked out of Egypt. Off they go. And um, they, they begin to migrate back up north. And in, in, the, in the midst of all this, God has blessed them. Abram and his nephew Lot, uh, their households are continuing to grow. Uh, they get back up uh, north a bit from Egypt, and the land is unable to support them. And they start to have strife between their herdsmen, and Abram, in a re, really, Abram, in a, another demonstration of remarkable faith, says to Lot, you know, he's the peacemaker. He comes to Lot and he says, listen, let there not be strife between us. Um, listen, look, the whole land, you take what you want and I'll take what's left. And it's a real selfless and sacrificial move on Abram's part. And what does Lot do? Lot gets himself in a lot of trouble, doesn't he? Lot chooses the choices part. And off he goes. Abram is just submitting himself to the Lord. Oh, the Lord will care for me. Uh, Abram's household is larger than Lot's. And Abram settles with less fertile uh, ground. But he submits himself to the Lord. Uh, he surrenders himself to the Lord. And what do we see? We see Abram back up, don't we? Walking in faith. Looks a lot like Genesis 12, verse 4 again, doesn't it? Well, in Genesis 14... Lot gets himself in all kinds of trouble. The, he, f he finds himself living in the land of Sodom. And uh, uh, Sodom, Gomorrah, and the neighboring cities were paying tribute to a, a king, Kedarlaomer. Say that real fast three times in a row. Uh, and Kedarlaomer, he likes his stuff. You know, they quit paying him and it makes him mad. So he comes, he joins, grabs three other allies, comes down uh, into uh, the vicinity of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's just sacking everything in its wake. He sacks the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He sacks everything. He grabs all the people, grabs all the stuff, heads back up home. And Abram, uh, in another demonstration of remarkable faith, musters 318 men and goes out and defeats Kedar Lahomer, grabs Lot and his stuff and the people and their stuff, begins to return everything to their rightful owners. As Abram is returning, he's met by two characters, one quite 
mysterious, uh, a certain Melchizedek, who is both high priest of God and um, king of Salem. And in a, uh, another demonstration of faith, Abram submits to, uh, to Melchizedek, pays tithes to Melchizedek. And the second visitor is king of Sodom. And, and this is another demonstration of, 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 of wonderful faith. Abram, the king of Sodom comes out and says to Abram, listen, give me the people, you keep all the goodies, which would have been, that would have been the standard of the time. That would have been Abram's rightfully to keep. But Abram looks at the king of Sodom and says, no, I, I won't even take a sandal strap from this place unless others say, you're the one who's made me rich. And here we see a tremendous, I think this is a, this is a tremendous act of faith on Abram's part. Because I think this is one of the hardest times to, uh, to uh, be on about the glory of God is right after a victory, isn't it? When we have had a victory, what do we typically do? We typically swell up, don't we? Even if it's a small victory, you know, we start to swell up. And we don't see Abram doing any of that. Abram's on about one thing. What's he on about? The glory of God. That's what he's on about. So here we see Abram up. But then we get to Genesis 15, and what do we find? Abram's struggling. He's down. He's down again. He's struggling. And the Lord meets Abram with renewed promises. And, and um, in Genesis 16, we find Abram and Sarah again struggling with their faith. And we looked at that most recently last week. Uh, you know, by this time in Genesis 16, Ten years have gone by since they have moved from Haran. Um, you know, Abram is not 75 anymore. You know, he's 85. Uh, Sarah is 10 years younger than him. She's not 65 anymore. She's 75. There still has been no son. She is still barren. And Sarah, still without child, takes matters into her own hands, and she convinces Abram to take her servant Hagar, uh, thinking that maybe this is how God is going to make good on his promises. And of course, this cultural practice of a woman of means who has servants offering her servant to her husband in order to propagate the family line sounds bizarre to us, but during this time, uh, it was something that was commonly practiced. Um, however, I pointed out last week that it, though it may be right in the eyes of culture, it's not right in the eyes of the Lord. So we find Abram and Sarai in chapter 16, really pro probably in the lowest valley so far. Um, so I think you can see where I'm going here. Maybe. I mean, prior to our study, we may get this idea that, you know, Abram, Abram's always up. You know what I mean? I mean... He's, isn't he the guy that's like the father of the faithful? Isn't he like one of the guys in the, like Hebrews 11, the faith hall of fame or the hall of faith or whatever you want to call it? I mean, all of those folks that are super, super faithful. And I think that if, if, if man had written the Bible on his own, I don't, not sure we'd have all these low places. I think all we'd have is the high places. Who's going to put in the low places? I mean, that's going to get edited out. What are you doing? Don't put that in here. 
Abram's our man. He's our guy. He's always up. Abram's the father of the faithful. Always up. But men wrote the Bible under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Superintended by Almighty God. And God has given us the lows, hasn't He? And He's given us the lows for our instruction. He's given us the ups and downs. We see Abram uprising in remarkable faith. We see Abram struggle with a faith in need of nurture. And furthermore, we see Abram really very, very low. That's really kind of sums it up, doesn't it? It kind of describes the believer's life in this world, doesn't it? I mean, we come to places where we seem to be on top of the world with God. You ever notice when you're in those places, you think, okay, it's going to be like this from now on. I'm on top. It's going to stay this way. I mean, I've I'm, I got so much momentum going. I'm so up. I'm so up right now. Oh, no, nothing's bringing me down. And the next thing you know, wow, what happened? It's down. Well, the Lord has given us this record of Abram to comfort us. And it's something you don't see as clearly until you stop for a minute and you step back. But when you stop for a minute and you step back and you say, what's been going on here? Well, then it's suddenly you start to see the ripple, don't you? You start to see the highs and the lows and the highs and the lows. And, and we can see that if Abram, the father of the faithful, struggled like this, well, then guess what? It shouldn't surprise us that we're going to struggle like this too. And that brings us to chapter 17, verse 1. Now, in chapter 16, we find Abram and Sarah to be far from their best moments. And now here in chapter 17, in verse 1, 13 years have gone by. Now, how do I know that? Well, take a look at chapter 16, verse 16. It says there when, that Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Chapter 17, verse 1, when Abram was 99 years. Between those two verses, we have 13 years. The chapter division gets in our way sometimes of seeing that. You know, if you, ch if you study chapter 16 by itself for a little while, I think you'll find that, that verse 16 kind of dangles out there. It's like, um, it just kind of dangles out there. It doesn't do that when you bring chapter 17 in. It flows nicely into chapter 17. Abram's 86. Chapter 16, verse 16. Abram's 86. Chapter 17, verse 1. Abram is 99. Okay, 13 years have gone by. Abram is struggling at 86. 13 years go by. What do you suppose he's doing now? I'm going to submit to you that he's really struggling now. He's really, really struggling. Now, how do I know this? Look to verse 15 of chapter 17. Just look down to verse 15. God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Verse 16. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Verse 17. 
Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? Now look what Abram says in verse 18. He says to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Now what's that all about? How do I know Abram's struggling? Because of verse 18. Look what he says in verse 18. He says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He is content with Ishmael. They've taken matters into their own hands. They have had some fruit from this enterprise of taking matters in their own hands. And they're content with their own fruit. He's content with what he has done, with what he has accomplished, with what him and Sarah have accomplished. And because of this contentment, and I'll call it complacency from this point forward, because of this complacency, he's no longer looking to the promises in the way that he should be looking to the promises. Anytime we find ourselves content this way, we can safely say that we've become complacent. And I'm not using the word complacency in the way that the old preachers such as Jonathan Edwards would use the word complacency. He would speak about going out into the woods and spending hours in the woods praying and spending time with Christ in this holy complacency. What Edwards meant by that was he was so satisfied in the glory and the majesty of Christ that he was lost in it. What I mean by complacency is complacency in a self-satisfied kind of way where we're satisfied not in God, but we're satisfied in ourselves. We're satisfied in what we have done. We might even think of it in another way, in a slightly different shade, where we're satisfied with the status quo. But here's the problem. Ishmael's not the promised son, is he? It's not the promised son. So it seems to me that Abram's quit looking forward to the chief and principal promise. And I might put it this way. Abram quit looking forward to Genesis 3.15. Where's Genesis 3.15? Where is it? Well, I think it's been lost to Abram in many ways. It has to be recovered. He has ceased to look forward to it in the way that he should. This is a good summary of good old-fashioned textbook complacency. And it's a textbook example of spiritual lethargy, spiritual struggle. And we need to get this, I think, in order to understand Genesis 17. This is going to help us to understand, understand Genesis 17 because Genesis 17 is about how God meets us in this place of lethargy and spiritual struggle. Notice Abram is struggling, but notice the Lord meets Abram. The Lord appears to Abram to revive him. Notice what the Lord says, chapter 17, verse 1. The Lord says, I am God Almighty. Now, before we look at what that means, let's just look closely at one thing. What do we have here? We have God intervening, and we have God revealing himself to Abram, we have God giving Abram a word, therefore we have a word from the Lord, which is the word of the Lord. Do you follow all of that? 
Abram is struggling. God intervenes. He intervenes by revealing himself to Abram. He reveals himself to Abram with a word. It's a word that comes from God. And therefore, it is the word of God. Oh, if we could have the word of God. That's exactly what we have, isn't it? What are you holding in your hands? You're holding in your hands the same thing that God meets Abram with. It's no less powerful. It's no less merciless. I mean, it's the same grace, is it not? What you have in your lap, what you have on the seat next to you, what you have in your hands, it's the Word of God. It's the Word of God because it's the Word from God. And it's the Word that God has given to us to reveal Himself to us, to meet us in this lethargy. You know, David picks up on this in Psalm 19, in verse 7. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Abram, Abram needs his soul revived. He's content with Ishmael. Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. No, Abram. I've promised you a son. Sarah is going to bear a son. I've promised you, I've promised you a son. Abram's going to bear a son. How's God meet Abram? He meets Abram with His Word. That's why I'm so committed to preaching the Word. I mean, that's why I'm so committed to doing this. I've had lots of people over the years tell me, oh, you know, man, that's, this is a lot. This is this. This is that. You know what? We're not going to stop. What do we need? What does it take to revive one soul? It takes the Word of God, the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God. What we need is not some kind of taking matters in their own hands and coming up with some human concoction and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this, or no, we're going to do that, or we're going to do this, or we're going to do that. Here's God's way. Abram is struggling. He's on his face struggling. He, he's, he's twisting everything. What's God do? He meets Abram. He reveals himself to him. And he does it with a word. And this is exactly what we have taking place when we open up the Bible, we take the time to study what the Bible is saying. We take the time to interpret it properly. We look at it. We go through it systematically, verse by verse. What is this verse doing here? Why is it here? What is the Holy Spirit intending to teach with this verse? What has it got to do with what came before it? What's it got to do with what comes after it? When we do that hard work and we sit down and we listen and we prayerfully open up the mouths of our hearts before Almighty God, what happens? What happens? You don't no longer hear from a man. It's no longer a man's voice that you're hearing anymore. It's God's voice that you're hearing. And when you hear God's voice, what happens? The dead bones rise. That's what happened to me. What happened to you? I heard God calling. And my dead bones rose from the grave of spiritual death. And this is what we have to have. This is what we need. You don't need to hear some, some invention of my own. You need to hear the Word of God. You need to hear the Word of God because you need to hear the voice of God. You really need to hear the voice of God. And I really need to hear the voice of God. And we don't need to just hear it once every 13 years. 
Abram waited 13 years, best I can tell. You want to wait 13 more years? Let's not be so hard on Abram if we're tempted to be hard on Abram. Let's not be hard on Abram. He's a man of remarkable faith. Remarkable faith. Uh, we, we need to hear the Lord's voice Sunday in, Sunday out, Wednesday in, Wednesday out. And every day when we're on our knees with our Bibles before Him, we need to hear it. And that's when growth happens. So our text is one of the many places, really the heart of my philosophy, my personal philosophy of ministry. This is one of the many places where I get that. What do I believe? I believe we've got to preach the Word of God. We've got to teach the Word of God. And here's one of the places. I take this opportunity to show you one of the many places where I get that from. Now, the Lord has spoken to Abram. What has He said? He says, I am God Almighty. In the Hebrew, it is El Shaddai. El Shaddai. It means powerful or most powerful. God comes to Abraham and he says to him, I am most powerful. I am most powerful. Now, why would Abraham need to hear that? Well, we already know the answer to that because it's in the context. He has said, oh, that Ishmael might live. But he says that only after he says, shall a woman who's 90 years old give birth to a child? And he says that only after he has said, shall a man who's 100 years old, sir, a child. And he's only said that after they've waited 25 years for this child. That's the context. Well, let's think about that for a minute. Abram, do you think for a minute it's any problem for me, Almighty God, to allow a 90-year-old woman to have a child. Do you think that's a, prom a problem for me? I am the one who spoke and said, let there be, and all has come into existence. Do you think this is a problem that I can't sustain a woman for a measly 100 years or 150 years so that she can have a child? Do you think that's a problem for me? I am El Shaddai. I am El Shaddai. I said, let there be, and all came to be. This is what we need when we're in a state of lethargy, when we limit God's power. Abram is limiting God's power, isn't he? He's limiting God. He's just saying, God, this can't be because we're too old. In other words, you can't do it. What's it? What do we suggest? Well, Lord, I know you tried, but what? What? This is God's plan. The child who's going to be born is going to be born miraculously, and it's going to be, he is going to be the result of God's promise so that all can say, listen, there's no other way this could have happened except for God done it. And that requires that there be a delay. But Abram doesn't know that. He doesn't know that. I guess in final words of application. I think we can relate with this, can't we? Can't we see ourselves in Abram? Can't we see ourselves? Can't we can't we see ourselves in this state of lethargy? Can't we see ourselves in this low point? Can't we see ourselves limiting God's power when we say things like, you know, that's such and such down the street. You know, if you shared the gospel with him, no, man, he's not that no, uh, you know, that guy could never come to Christ. Really? Really? You came to Christ, but he couldn't, you know. 
I was a really unlikely candidate to come to Christ. Maybe somebody once upon a time said Rick could never come to Christ. Well, you know what? They're right. Rick never could come to Christ on his own. God had no problem doing it. You see how that's just one example how we can, you know, this situation we got at work, it's never going to change. Yes, it can't change. Well, it might not be God's will to change it. It might not be His will to change it. But let's not think for a nanosecond that God can't change it. It might not be His will to. But let's not think for a second He can't change it. Or we even think about ourselves. I can't change. Well, you're right. You can't change. No more than a leopard can change its spots. Or the Ethiopian, the color of his skin. You can call on God to change you. But when you call on God to change you, you're calling on a God who can easily change you. Everything about you. There's nothing about you that can't be changed. You see? And I'm of the perspective, I believe that when we call out to God to change us and with a heart that's even halfway sincere about it, that God will answer. If we won't let Him go until He blesses us, He will bless us. Amen? So in conclusion, what carries us through? I don't have to tell you that we're up, we're down, and we're all over the place. Do I have to tell anybody that? Do we need, do we need that instruction? We're up and down and all over the place. Nobody needs that, do you? I, I don't think. What carries us through? Well, what carries, it? what carries Abram through? Well, God meets him. He reveals Himself to him. And He does it through His Word. There's only one place we can learn about Jesus, isn't there? Where do we learn about Jesus? It's in the Word of God. That's it. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, and we praise You, Father, that You've been pleased, Father, to give us such an exhaustive Word. It's Your answer, Father, to carry us through this pilgrimage, to nurture us, to raise us in low places, but also to equip us, O Father, and to bring us to high places. Father, we recognize this morning that we've been in both. We've been, we've been in, we've been in high places. We've been in low places. And Father, we thank you that it is, it is your good grace that carries us through. Oh, Father, uh, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.